Well, it's good to be with you all this morning, uh, even as we've returned to online liturgy. Uh, I do want to acknowledge, um, you know, just the disappointment uh, and frustration in starting a new year and not being able to be physically uh, here together at Vesper, uh, especially with the momentum we had last uh, fall. With We had the, the community retreat. Uh, we had the Advent potluck. And so I'm grateful we had those opportunities. Um, and I'm also grateful for our tech team that allows us um, to continue to offer community even in a virtual connection. Uh, do remain hopeful for connecting opportunities uh, going forward just for our community as we continue to navigate uh, all of these uncertainties. Well, this morning, uh, our lectionary text invites us to explore the gifts that we've been given and, and how we should view and express our gifts. And so before we jump in, uh, I want to give you all a moment just to reflect on this question. Uh, how do you perceive the gifts and abilities that you have? Right? What, what emotions or feelings come up for you when you reflect on your own gifts and abilities? So I'll give you a moment to share that with someone at home, uh, or feel free to throw your thoughts onto the chat. So when I was sharing with my family uh, what I was speaking about this morning, my daughter was like, you have to talk about the movie Encanto. It's perfect. It's about people's gifts. So Gabby, shout out to you. Uh, I'm referencing Encanto. Um, if you're unfamiliar, it's a movie about a family that's been given magical gifts, uh, things like super strength or being able to cook food that heals people uh, or growing plants instantly, which, you know, that might be nice to have. Uh, or talking to animals, which that honestly sounds pretty amazing. And with each of the grandchildren, when they come of age, um, they receive a unique magical gift uh, through a ritual. But the main character, Mirabelle, is the anomaly, because she didn't receive a gift. And so that becomes a stigma for most of her life. And even though the grandmother, the matriarch, uh, is committed to using the family gifts for the good of their entire town, there's a barrier between Mirabelle and her grandmother because she doesn't have a gift. And the family takes great pride in the gifts that they'd have, and there's also shame in not having one. And when it comes to this community that we've chosen to be a part of, do the gifts that we have or we don't have, do they bring people together or do they create barriers and divide? And in our text this morning, we read about a church community that, you know, the gifts that the Spirit has given them has actually created barriers and divisions. But the Spirit's intent is to actually foster unity and create uh, unity through the diversity of gifts that, that's been given. And if we're embodying the gifts the way the Spirit intended, then there should be a movement towards unity. This is how Howard Thurman puts it. He says, to be in unity with the Spirit is to be in unity with one's fellow people. Not to be in unity with one's fellow people is thereby not to be in unity with the Spirit. The pragmatic test of one's unity with the Spirit through the Spirit's gifts is found in the unity with one's fellow people. And so the question I want to reflect on this morning is this. How did the gifts of the Spirit invite us to a practice and experience of unity with each other? 
right? Even with a diversity of gifts and experiences, how do those gifts invite us towards unity? And in our text, Paul offers some reflections on how we are to see and experience and express the gifts that the Spirit has given us. And so we start in verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. So just for some context, Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church. And in this portion, he's addressing how they've misunderstood the importance of gifts. Apparently, their community was highlighting the gift of speaking in tongues as the most important gift. For them, that was the pinnacle. That was the ultimate form of spirituality. And so when value and importance are assigned to certain kinds of gifts, that can easily create comparison or jealousy or competition. They were using a lens of rivalry in viewing each other and the gifts that they embodied. And at that point, it becomes more about themselves and less about the giver of the gifts. You know, they've convinced themselves that these gifts inherently make themselves better and make others worse. And so Paul's writing against the hierarchy of gifts. Instead of comparing and assigning value to each person's gifts, he's attempting to bring the focus back onto the giver of the gifts. Right? He says that there are different gifts, services, and activities, but they all come from the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God. And so instead of a lens of rivalry, Paul's offering a lens of revelation. How is the source of the gift revealed when these gifts are used? And so for us, we're also reminded that the different gifts each of us express and embody all reveal the same source. As different as each of our gifts are, they collectively reveal the full character and image of God. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can get to a place where we see our gifts as something that we've developed or that we've earned ourselves. It becomes easy for us to wrap our identity around our gifts and our abilities. And we have a posture of self-achievement or self-promotion where we conveniently forget the part that we've actually been given our gift. And when it comes to how we see others, how often do we reflect on their gift as a revelation of God instead of a point of comparison or competition? Because how we experience other people's gifts is an opportunity for God to be more fully revealed to us. And so when I hear Harmon and James or Casey and Jess play music, right, God's artistry and creativity is revealed to me. When I listen to the teaching of Jenna or James Allison, God's nonviolent character is revealed to me. When I receive deep, authentic care from Rachel or for, from, from many of you, God's intimacy is revealed to me. When I navigate the latest spreadsheet that Carol or Slimmer have put together, God's attention to detail is revealed to me. 
when I interact with the unique gifts of my own children, right? God's innocence and tenderness is revealed to me. And even when those I find challenging and those who I find difficult, my invitation is to use a lens of revelation, to see and experience their gift as a way for God to be more fully revealed to me. And so for us, maybe a practice we can try this week is to examine and adjust the lens we use when we view our gifts and and the gifts of others. Ask ourselves, how might we be looking through a lens of rivalry? In what ways are we carrying a competitive or comparative posture when we see how others express their gift? And instead, how might we adjust towards a lens of revelation? In what ways can we see the gifts in others revealing God's image and character? And maybe even list out, right? Write down a list of how we experience God through the gift of others. And then we continue in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so for the Corinthian church, right, their lens of rivalry impacted their understanding of their gifts. It became easy to assign value, shape their identity around them. And I don't blame them for taking that path, right? It's our natural tendency to focus on how our gifts can center around and benefit ourselves. If there's a way to elevate ourselves just a bit more, we'll usually take it. And Paul is reminding them that the gifts they've been given are not for personal gain or self-promotion. And so for us, we're also reminded that the gifts we've been given aren't primarily for ourselves, but for the common good. The common good of this community. The common good of whatever neighborhood you live in. The common good of our city. Even the common good of the global community and the physical earth we live on. And this is something that the Hebrew scriptures talk about in detail. Inviting us to look beyond our own self-interest, and to create a just and healthy community, to care for the widow and the foreigner and the stranger, to practice care of the earth and let the land rest every seven years. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, part of why he's so disruptive was because people were selfishly hoarding their gifts and their power and turning a blind eye to the common good. And so Jesus has to show them what it means to serve the common good. For him, it was care for the, for the poor and for the marginalized. It was advocating for the oppressed. It was loving neighbor and loving enemy. This is the common good he taught and embodied through his life here on earth. And for us, a couple thousand years later, I'm not sure if we've done much better. This is how Jim Wallace puts it. He says, Jesus told us a new relationship with God also brings us into a new relationship with our neighbor, especially with the most vulnerable of this world and even with our enemies. But we don't always hear that from our churches. This call to love our neighbor is the foundation for reestablishing and reclaiming the common good which has fallen into cultural and political and even religious neglect. How have we forgotten 
to prioritize the common good over our selfish pursuits? How have we forgotten to pursue the common good that Jesus taught and modeled for us? And how might that look like for each of us? You know, one of the gifts um, that God's given me that I've become more comfortable acknowledging and embracing uh, is my non-anxious presence. And I apologize if that hasn't been your experience with me (laughs) or if that's not the case in future interactions. But for the most part, um, that is something that I've been able to lean into and live out of for most of my life. And granted, I've also had to do my own work uh, around being more aware when I'm actually coming from an authentic, non-anxious presence versus just being disconnected from my emotions or compartmentalizing my stress, which is unhealthy. But when I am able to embody an authentic, non-anxious presence, it can be a gift right, to the individuals, to the communities that I engage with. And as I've, you know, it's definitely one of the, the handy things that has come into play these last couple of disruptive and stress-filled years for our communities. But as I've continued to reflect on the gifts that God's given me, I'm also trying to be intentional and aware of how I can express these gifts for the common good, especially for those who are marginalized or oppressed. You know, ever since my time doing chaplain work uh, years ago in the hospital setting, I've always wanted uh, to volunteer in that capacity. And so the last year of social unrest, you know, it's continued to uncover and highlight uh, just the systemic injustice that our black and brown communities face, from police violence to disproportionate incarceration to under-resourced neighborhoods. And so something that I'm pursuing in this season uh, is to apply as a volunteer chaplain, mentor, uh, and offer my gift of presence to those in the Travis County jail system just to walk in solidarity with them by physically being present with them. And that's my attempt to explore what it means to use my gift for the common good, the way Jesus invites us. And so for us, you know, maybe another practice we can try this week and in the coming weeks is to consider what your outlet might be, where your gifts can contribute to the common good especially for those who are the most vulnerable. And even in this season of of fatigue and disruption, especially in this season of fatigue and disruption, using our gifts for the common good can be life-giving both to those who receive our gift and even for ourselves. And then we close in verse 8. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the working of miracles. And to another, prophecy. To another, the discernment of spirits. And to another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually, just as the Spirit chooses. And so Paul lists a bunch of different gifts that have been given to their community. And this is an exhaustive list by any means. And if you notice, there are some interdependent connections between the gifts. You know, wisdom and knowledge are two sides of the same coin. 
A prophetic word needs discernment. Tongues need interpretation. And we take an even broader step back. We're reminded that each person and each gift is just one small part of the greater community. Right? None of us are meant to do this alone, and none of us are meant to be passive observers. And so for us, this is a reminder and an invitation that the diversity of our gifts are meant to be expressed in collective participation. There's a healthy interdependence that we're meant to lean into and embody. That's why each of us are uniquely gifted. That's why each of our backgrounds are uniquely experienced. In order to fully live and embody the way of Christ, it requires full participation from the diverse makeup of the local and global church. This is how we describe our value of participation here at Vox. We live in a culture where being in a church means shopping and consuming community. We invite you into a beautiful alternative, liturgy, which means the work of the people. Find your plot of the garden within the community and the world we live in and get your hands dirty. We welcome you as co-creators to become the hands and feet of Christ. Cultivate your soul, help us hold space for the spiritual journey of others, and lean into the literal call to care for and serve the earth we belong to. And that's truly our hope for this community, that together we can collectively experiment and explore and discover God's vision of how our community can embody Christ to the world around us. And with that being said, I acknowledge how difficult the last couple years have been with an ongoing pandemic that's really limited our ability to connect and collaborate and collectively participate as a community. But even in this challenging season, what might it mean for us to participate together? How might we be intentional in this next week or month to offer your gift to someone else in this community? Or on the flip side, how might we be intentional to be vulnerable and make our needs known in a way to receive someone's gift in this community? How can we make space for mutual participation? You know, I've had conversations with many pastors here in Austin and other cities who are navigating the same challenges. I mean, we're not alone in this struggle of disconnected community and the fatigue that limits our participation together. And at the beginning of last fall, I connected um, you know, with some pastors from a few churches here in Austin who are like-minded, share same ethos and, and values with Vox. So churches like Austin Mustard Seed, uh, The Vine, uh, Restore Austin. And it was both disheartening and comforting to know that everyone and all of us are having similar challenges and experiences. And as we continued to connect and imagine what it might look like for our communities uh, to be engaged and supported, we saw the value of interdependence even between our communities. And so there's some initial planning around doing some you know, shared youth gatherings because both all of our churches, all of us only have a handful of youth in each of our churches. 
We've also talked about doing some collaborative um, gatherings during Holy Week. But we'll keep you updated on upcoming opportunities between our churches. And I'm hopeful that our collective gifts here at Vox and all the collective gifts at these other churches, that we can mutually support and benefit one another as we participate together for the common good of our city. And so, Vox, my hope for us is that even as we're in this space of uncertainty and disconnection, that we would be intentional and reflective in how we perceive our gifts and the gifts of others. And that as we grow in a healthier understanding and practice of our gifts, that we would also grow in our unity and connection that the Spirit offers. And so let me close with this prayer. God, whose image is imprinted in diverse ways on each of us, may we carry a lens of revelation instead of rivalry as we observe the gifts of those around us. Jesus, who entered our world and modeled what it means to live for the common good, may we discover outlets for our gifts to contribute to the wholeness of the global community and environment and spirit who empowers us with a diversity of gifts and abilities. May we lean into this community and participate both to serve and receive from one another in mutuality. And we ask all this in the love of God, the service of Christ, and the gifts of the Spirit. Amen.